Well, kia ora, everyone. Welcome along to this short little bonus episode with some excerpts of the conversation I had with Matt Morris. And we talk about a whole bunch of things in the full interview, but I've just pulled out some of his thoughts about gardens because he's written a book on it, which is coming out soon. And I was really intrigued with what he had to say. So I hope you enjoy these excerpts of our conversation. So now you're the sustainability advisor at Canterbury University. Um, just talk us through the years that have led up until that. And um, yeah, how did you end up doing what you're doing today? Um, I wanted to do something different uh, and that thing was going back to uni to do my PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, earlier on, when I was first going to um, consider doing my PhD, I was meant to be um, researching a history of drinking in Scotland in the 18th century, which actually would have been huge fun. But there came a point in my thinking process which was like, I can't actually... I can't do that. It's it's not it's not it's not relevant to me. I really want to read that history if anybody does it, but I didn't want to do it myself. Um, so I thought it was going to be on a history of organics in New Zealand, mm-hmm. um, but actually it turned out to be a history of home gardening in Christchurch, which was much more conf- you know a much sort of more manageable project uh, and very. It was so delightful. I just loved, um, I loved particularly the interviewing process. I loved interviewing the old people and collecting these stories of gardening in the 30s, 40s, um, even the late 20s in a couple of um, instances. What was the takeaway from all of that research? And There was quite a lot. Um, there's quite a lot in, in it, but I suppose what it really touched on for me, which you know, circles back to some of the earlier thoughts, thought processes that I'd had, mm-hmm. is how um, how important it is for people to connect with the earth. And, you know, and there's a lot of different ways that people do that. But it really, the, the history that I ended up writing is very much in the kind of post-colonial frame. So it starts started to touch on the fact that gardening is connected to land ownership and it's therefore connected to equity and justice issues, even though that's not really what I was mainly writing about. I was talking about the kinds of things that people planted in their gardens and where they got their plants from and how they learned how to do gardening mm-hmm. um, and kind of revisiting a standard methodology for doing garden history. But the thing that really stood out for me was, um, yeah, was this question around equal access to land and how disempowering it can be for a community when they have their land taken from them. Yeah. And that's something that I pursued further in in a book that I have coming out from Otago Uni Press uh, at the moment. I think it's due out next week as well actually yeah but that goes into much more it goes into that particular question much more than what my phd went into yeah and these wonderful colonial gardens that got sort of written over the top of that history Mm. that are brilliant you know brilliant places and i and i yeah so it's it's complicated but i think that we sometimes we sometimes forget that you know underneath um, underneath the, the land that we can see in front of us, there's, you know, these amazing 
stories or earlier iterations that um, have involved different communities possibly and different stories and the processes around how the transformations have happened can sometimes be just or sometimes be unjust. Mm. Yeah. So really, I suppose what the book does is it starts with the pre-colonial period, um, periods, uh, where gardening was characterized by there being a massive community effort, mm-hmm. community involvement, everybody in the community being involved, and land ownership being a kind of alien concept, something that's just not really considered. Um, and then into that kind of colonial, privatized, individualized um, period, um, which led to a um, ultimately to a de-skilling, so loss of knowledge about how to do, how to grow food, mm-hmm. how to grow other plants as well, um, and then and then this quite significant um, and concerted community effort to reskill people on those things, starting with community gardens, starting with school gardens, um, so that now there's. A, a higher level of knowledge in the community about how to take care of ourselves through the way that we use our land than there probably than how the, than what there was in say the 80s mm. food yeah can i just ask or pick up on one thing you mentioned which is sort of the stories that are unseen even when you look at a garden for example that there's a legacy of people presumably who've planted this plant and done this thing um I'm just really curious about that because I think you're right. Too often in life we walk by things and we don't think about the hidden histories that are surrounding us everywhere we look. Um, is that one of the themes then that comes out through your, your book? Probably not as much as I would like it to. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's in there. It's definitely in there. So, And I think that's a really important element of garden history and environmental history is to understand that nothing happens in a void. You know, it's especially with gardens, there's always something there before. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that can be the, the sequel. <laughs> that would <laughs> be, I think, I think it would be fascinating because I'm just reading a book right now and I'm going to write a book review about it for the podcast, I think, because I'm enjoying it st- so much. It's called The Overstory. I don't know if you've heard of it, by Richard Powers. And basically, it won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction last year. And he's told this. It's a long book. It's like, you know, five or 600 pages. But it's told through the eyes of trees. Um, or at least trees are major characters in the book. And then the people intersect with the trees. And so just as one example, there's a farmer in the 1890s who starts taking photos of this particular tree. And every month he takes a photo and he starts to compile it. And then he dies. His son starts taking photos of the same tree, same position every month. That person dies. The next son. So it's like this intergenerational story of this tree. But then you see the human lives weaving in with the tree, which, of course, outlives all of them, you know. (laughs) Um, But it's really fascinating told from that intergenerational perspective with the I guess, the lens of the trees that are around us. I think you'd really enjoy it. <laughs> yes, um, it has actually been recommended to me a couple of times before. Yeah. Now that you describe it, I was like, oh, that's right. That's the one. Thank you yeah. for reminding me. <laughs>